This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. I count it a privilege and an honor to be with you this weekend. And I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you today from the Word of God about the Word of God. In our reading of the morning, Brother Clint observed that we learn a lot about David's relationship with God by the things he said about how he cherished God's Word and how he studied it and meditated on it and so forth. That's really true. There are a lot of different things we can think of as a barometer that says, here's the health of your relationship with any individual and Certainly, we can do that in our relationship with God. And communication, isn't that one of the, the main barometers of the status of a relationship? If you think of a marriage, of all the different factors that come to mind, sort of at the center of it is, well, how well are we communicating? And that means expressing yourself, and it means listening. Well, in, in our relationship with God, we can discern a lot about the status of a relationship with, with our communication. We express ourselves in prayer, don't we? So our prayer life, it's not the only thing, but it's one thing we can look at as a barometer to sort of check the pulse, so to speak. And receiving communication from God is about how we study His Word. That's another good barometer of where we're at. And that's what we're going to talk about today, as you heard this morning at the opening of the services. We're going to talk about it this afternoon. I mean, it's a big book. And it's got all those crazy long names in it. In all those places I've never heard of. And there's all these phrases that sound, and there's so much that I don't understand. And so it seems intimidating and daunting, and how in the world am I supposed to learn this? You know, we see someone obey the gospel, they're baptized into Christ, the blood of Jesus washes their sins away, and we say, all right, here's your Bible, <laughs> go get it. How? You know, and I think back on the earlier generations, and it, it, it feels like they made it look easy. You know, I'm thinking of walking in late one night, and Dad's gone, laid down in bed, about to go to sleep, but before he does, he's laying there reading his Bible, and I'm, he understands what he's reading. I don't know how he did that. Well, he didn't wake up that morning deciding to start that habit. That was after several decades of doing that. So we're talking about learned habits of how we study, and that's what we're going to study about. It's things the Bible says about how we can better understand God's Word. I want to open up by telling you that wisdom is foundational in the effective gathering of information from Scripture and applying information from Scripture. Wisdom and knowledge can be interchangeable in Scripture. Sometimes as you read through for example, in the Proverbs, you'll see a lot of uh, Proverbs that talk about wisdom and talk about knowledge. And sometimes the terms are used interchangeably. But sometimes there is a subtle difference between those two things. And we might say, well, exactly what is the difference? Well, we could kind of look up the English definition of the English words and we could sort of theorize. But there's a passage or two in Proverbs that gives us insight into a subtle difference that God sees when he's using the terms in a distinct way, okay? There can be a subtle difference. And to put simply in just a quick 
definition, knowledge is knowing facts. Wisdom is the ability to gather and apply that knowledge or that information. Proverbs 8 and 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. This is an interesting section in Proverbs where he poetically depicts uh, a, a sort of anthropomorphic, that means a human-like depiction of wisdom. He portrays wisdom as a woman calling out to mankind from a street corner. In the previous chapter, he talked about a harlot or a prostitute woman calling out to mankind from the street corner and talks about the fool that hears her call and falls prey to her devices. But then in chapter 8, you've got the contrast with wisdom as a woman calling out and not hurting man, but benefiting man. And so in that chapter, he tells us a lot of things that give us a richer, deeper understanding of what wisdom is. And one of those statements is the function of wisdom is to find out knowledge. So wisdom can be an ability to gather knowledge. Now, where am I going to get wisdom? Proverbs 1, verse 1 and 2, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding. Now, here he states the purpose of the book of Proverbs. The purpose of the book of Proverbs is so you can read it and know wisdom. That's why God said he put that book in the Bible. So you can read it and get wisdom. Well, I thought we could get wisdom from life's experiences. We can when we view them through the lens of God's word. But I know, and you know, a lot of people that have had a lot of life's bitterest experiences that are not wise. They have more experience than I do. I didn't get any wisdom from it because of how they're looking at it. Okay, So think about that. We don't want to think about experience. We want to think about turning to the word of God to gain wisdom. So if I turn and I find the book, God says, hey, Dave, this is the book you read if you want to get wisdom. And then I read in that book that if I have wisdom, then that is something that will work hand in hand with other things to help me gather knowledge. Then I'm like, all right, I want to know more about the word of God. The first thing I do is I've got to get a basket to put it in. Anytime my brother and I ever went to the, the orchard to pick peaches, we had to carry a basket to pick it in and, and, you know, to put the peaches in when we picked them. And so when we go to the Word of God and say, hey, I want to learn how to study this, i got to bring my basket so I'll have a place to put all these peaches. So wisdom is foundational. Now let me illustrate why. I'm going to run through a little thing here to kind of show you how... Just picking up facts can be a problem if those facts aren't guided by wisdom. 1 Timothy 3 and 8, likewise, deacons, okay, must be reverent, not double-tongued, etc. So he talks about deacons here, doesn't he? Acts 1 and 25 says, to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell. All right. So in Acts 1, he talks about a ministry and apostleship. In 1 Timothy 3, he talks about deacons. That word in 1 Timothy 3 describes deacons using the Greek word diakonos. That's a fact. That's a piece of information. Let me tell you another piece of information. Acts 1 uses a variation of that same word and connects it with the apostleship. <coughs> we might read it to sort of show you what I'm talking about. <coughs> Likewise, deacons must be reverent. Okay? To take part in this diaconate, this deacon-like work, and apostleship. 
That's a piece of information. That's a piece of knowledge. Now here's taking those facts, that information, and using them not guided by wisdom. Therefore, deacons are apostles. Well, we called them, you know, they're taking up this diaconate and apostleship, so a deaconship is an apostleship, so deacons and apostles are the same. Now, I know that's not true, and you know that's not true. But we piled up some pieces of information and came to that conclusion. But wisdom helps you not make that obvious mistake. Now, that's a clear mistake to illustrate the point. <coughs> there are more subtle examples where we might come to a misguided conclusion, but having wisdom will help protect us. Well, how do I get that wisdom? What book did God say? Hey, this is the book you read if you want wisdom. I'll read the book of Proverbs. So there are some basics. I need to spend time reading. And if I want to gather more wisdom to be able to get more out of my reading, I need to read more in Proverbs. So let's look at some basic things as we approach this idea of reading. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Okay? Timothy, I want you to read Scripture. Well, now, wait a minute. Paul had laid hands on Timothy. Timothy very probably had the gift of inspiration. Why did he need to study his Bible? Same reason you and I do. That's our spiritual food. So even if you're an inspired worker in the first century, you need to study the Word. So he said, give attention to reading. Now, what's he supposed to do with these things? He said, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. So Paul told Timothy, read a lot and meditate on what you read. I'm going to tell you, this introduces us something uh, to an idea that's very, very important. And I'm going to make this point now, and this will not be the last time I make this point. You take time and you study your Bible. So you, let's say you start in the morning and you read a chapter and then you close it. That's not when your study stops. That's when your study starts. It's when you close your Bible and you put it back up. And you think about it off and on all day. Some of the tasks require your mental engagement. Some of the tasks are mundane. And you can you know, do it without giving so much mental thought to it. So while you're doing those mundane tasks... You can think about what you read that morning. Meditate on it. You'll be amazed at how much you gain after you close the book, if you'll meditate. Psalms 1, verse 1 through 3, puts it like this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates. Day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring uh, forth its fruit in, in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So here we've got a psalm, presumably a psalm of David, that's talking about delighting in the word of God. This is somebody that loves God's word, that attitude that King David had that he reflects in Psalms 119 and how much he cherished the word. And I want to tell you something, the more years you study it carefully and read it as a regular routine, the more you're going to love the Bible. To know it is to love it, and to not love it means you don't know it well enough. Now that may hurt a little bit, but that's okay. You think about that. The more you read it and meditate on it, the more you'll come to love it. And it will reveal beauty to you 10 years from now that you couldn't imagine today. 
because you'll see new and deeper things as you study. So he says, I delight in it, I love it, and I meditate on it day and night. What does that make you like? Well, it makes you like one of those trees down there by the waterway, by the creek, or by the river. Now imagine an arid or a semi-arid climate. And you get out on the, you know, the high ground and there's not a lot of rain, so the trees aren't doing so hot. But you didn't out, get down there close to the river and what are the trees doing? This is a pretty arid climate here. It's uh, in another state, as you might guess. Nowhere in Arkansas looks that sad, right? <laughs> It's the natural state. Well, it's natural for this part of this state to be dry as a bone. If you'll look up away from the river, up on the high ground, those little green specks, you know what those are? <laughs> those are trees. You say, that doesn't look like any tree I've ever seen. I know. That's the point. I remember one time years ago, I was in eastern New Mexico laboring there, and I was doing church work there, and kind of my first time or early in my time of being in eastern New Mexico. And one of the locals, we were bopping down the highway, and there's all these little shenry, not even shenry, I mean just little plants about this tall. And he said, guess what, David? I said, what, Charles? He said, you're in the middle of the biggest oak forest in the United States, and I'm looking around at this hopeless desert, pump jacks, <laughs> electric lines, <laughs> And oil, you know, pipeline and these things saying, what? Yep, that's an oak tree. And it is. And I mean, they go on for miles and miles and miles, trust me, and miles and miles and miles and miles and then even further. And the biggest ones are about that big because there's no water. That's that guy up there on the hill. But get down here close to the water and you say big tree. If we were down there kind of at eye level, this is sort of an aerial view, you'd get down there and you'd see trees that are tall and cast a big shade. These guys love God's word and they meditate on it constantly. That's the Psalms 1 tree. You'll be like a tree planted by the river. And here's everybody else. These don't have time to read. I can't. They make excuses to not start a better study habit or strengthen their current study habit. They read more news and novels than they do the Bible. That guy up there on that hill to the left that's about to die because it hadn't rained in months, yep, that's the guy that spends more time in the newspaper than he does in the Word of God. They meditate more about the world than they do about the Word. Here's the point. There's no, here's the quick trick shortcut. You know, everybody wants a pill. Just give me a pill I can take and it fixes everything. It's not there. I can't stand here today in two lessons and give you this elo elegant, eloquent little secret that if you'll do this every other third Thursday of the month, you'll be a Bible scholar in two weeks. It's not going to happen. It's going to take time and dedication. And if you pick it up the first time to read it and say, I don't understand it, and close it in frustration and set it back down, you'll be one of those scrawny little guys up there on the hill. That's all you'll ever be if you survive. 
Do you take a multivitamin? I'm going to guess at least some of you take some kind of a multivitamin. I do. You know how much of that your body actually absorbs and puts into use? I understand it's kind of a matter of discussion and debate, and there's ideas that if I'll take it with other things, it helps me absorb more. And In the middle of all that de debate, you know why people talk about that stuff? Because it's very common to take a multivitamin and fail to absorb a majority of its nutrients. And guess what's in my pillbox? <laughs> One that I plan to take this evening. Now, I'm not going to look at that vitamin and say, what's the use? If I swallow that, I'm only going to get a fraction of its value. And trust me, I have no intentions of doing that at mealtime. The same is true about your food. Oh, there's tons of nutrients there. And you're not going to absorb near all of it. You're only going to absorb a fraction of what's available in there. Are you going to stop eating? <laughs> of course not. And I'm not going to stop taking my multivitamin. Because I know if I'll just take it and do it consistently, I'll get some value from it. And over time, maybe there'll be a cumulative effect. I don't know. There is with the food I eat. It's doing a pretty good job of accumulating. And that's the way we need to approach the Word of God. I'm feeding my soul. I'm going to pick that up and I'm going to read it. And I'm not going to get all the nutrients that are there for my soul, but I don't need to let that make me stop. I've got to just keep on, day and night, thinking about what I've read and be determined to be that tall tree down by the river. And that old guy that's near death, that's laying in the bed, and the last thing he's doing in his day is reading a few more chapters in his cherished Bible, he didn't get to that point overnight. He got to that point from years and years of doing it. And that's the one that can answer your questions. And that can be you. So there's got to be regularity. These were more fair-minded. The narrative in Acts 17 says about those who were in Berea, where Paul preached the gospel. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. How many times have you heard this in regards to study the Bible? And it's daily, daily. You've got to do it every day. That's right. Here's our problem. We're all or nothing. Well, I can't do that. So I guess I'll close it and put it back on the shelf. Look, if you can't study it every day, if you can't read it every day, I'm not going to tell you that's ideal, but I'll ask you this. Can you read it every other day? Well, I don't know. I'm pretty busy. Well, can you read it two days a week, three days a week? I mean, if you can't give it two or three days a week to, to, to read a little bit, you need to rearrange your schedule some and, you know, opt out of some things. Okay? I mean, 15 minutes, can you give it that much? <clears throat> if you can just give it two or three days a week, I might turn and I might look at that passage and think, yeah, but I'm supposed to do this every day. I know. But don't let it be an all or nothing that... Well, if I can't do it all the time the way I'm supposed to, then I'm just going to give up and say I lost. Don't do that. If you can't read or you feel like you can't make your schedule work to make it happen every day, I'm not going to tell you that's ideal. I'm just going to tell you, just read it as much as you can make yourself read it. Because <laughs> here's what will happen. If you do that two or three days a week, you'll wake up one day wanting those other days. You will. 
because you'll gradually learn to love it that much. Be regular in it. Here's a chart. Let's go back to the idea of regularly reading Proverbs to go with the New Testament. My mother's instruction inspired this chart. She, she told my brother and I when we were little, she said, boys, for every chapter you read in the New Testament, you need to read a chapter in Proverbs. She said, if you'll read Proverbs more, the New Testament will make more sense. I didn't know why she thought that back then, but I understand now. It's because Proverbs teaches us wisdom, and wisdom is the ability to gather and apply knowledge. So this chart doesn't exactly do that, but it kind of captures the spirit of that counsel. This chart says every day, read five New Testament chapters a day. I'm not a very good reader. I read pretty slow. And that doesn't really take all that much time. 15 to 30 minutes and you're done. And for every five chapters you read in the New Testament, you read one chapter in Proverbs per day. So you're reading six chapters a day, but you're only doing it six days a week. You're going to give yourself a day in there. I have it on, on the schedule as the Saturday, but you can float that to whatever. If you've got a busy day where you go from candle cane, then let that be your off day. And this might sound like a high goal, but I'll tell you, this is easier to do once you get started. It's easier to do than, than it might seem to you. If you will do this in nine weeks, you will have read the New Testament once and the book of Proverbs twice. And the more you do this, the more reading in Proverbs make you look at the New Testament and say, oh, now I get it. Now, you're still not going to get everything out of every verse you read and out of every chapter you read. Nobody does. The old guy, my dad, laying in the bed months from death, Last thing he's doing today is reading a few chapters in the Bible. He did not understand everything he read in spite of what my young mind assumed. But he got more than he used to. And if you'll start this, and I've done this through the years. The girls were growing up. We did this as a challenge in our family. We all held each other accountable. And we had the markings of what chapter are you on? Are you on this chapter? And we'd talk about it over the supper table, this, that, and the other. We've done it among circles of friends. You can do this. And you might think, well, but I can't do it that often. Then stretch that out from nine weeks to 18 weeks, if that's all you can give it. But do something. And meditate on it when you lay the book down. Read with an expectation. And by that, I mean, don't read with the expectation of I'm going to get confused and not understand any, anything. Because if you read with that expectation, you'll walk away from your reading feeling exactly like that. Here's reality. The most confused student of the scriptures reads and feels like they don't understand anything, but they really do understand a couple of simple things. But their mind is focused on all the things they don't understand, and they're so frustrated about that, it doesn't occur to them, my soul has been fed a little bit here. Okay? So let's talk about Paul's expectation when he wrote the Ephesian epistle to the saints at Ephesus. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I've briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now the Spirit inspired Paul. He knew stuff. And he wrote that stuff down. 
And he sent it to the church at Ephesus with the expectation, when you read this, you will know what I know by inspiration. I can't do that. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say, yeah, you can. Now, they didn't achieve that by reading through it saying, this is hard, and laying it down. That's not how they did it. They did it by reading it and sharing it with other brothers. He told them to do that in the letter, and they got the letters that were written to the other brethren, and they read those, and they read them before the church, and they shared these copies, and they made copies, and they kept reading and kept meditating. That's how when they read, they understood. Now, there are things in Ephesians that perplex me. There are questions I have that I haven't with full confidence answered, at least for my own pursuit. And there are other questions that I don't even know yet that are there. Okay? But I'll tell you, there are things that I read 30 years ago in Ephesians that I didn't get it, and today I can read it and kind of get the idea. And that's what can happen to you over a period of time. It's kind of like getting traction when you're driving through 8-inch mud. They don't do that unless you absolutely have to, but if you're driving down a road that's really muddy and you've got to get from point A to point B and the mud's eight inches deep, and so you're driving through there, what's the thing they always tell you? If you've ever been instructed how to drive through the mud, Dad said, keep up your momentum. Do not stop. You keep, keep pushing, keep your momentum up, and what will that do for you? Well, gradually you get more traction, you pick up more speed, the tires are getting a little more bite, and before long, you're going. You may be fishtailing and fighting the bar ditch, but you're moving forward, okay? That's how you study the Word. You keep going until you get more traction so that when you read, you may understand. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you trust God? Well, that's a question when my wife's sitting in the hospital, right? I'm supposed to trust God. Well, that's a question for them, but you know when else it's a question? When you read one of his promises. And God inspired Paul to promise that if you read this, you'll get something out of it. Do you trust God? I do, and I believe you do. I mean, there you sit. So you must trust God on some level because you're here this morning. So believe his promise. Well, but there's all this I don't understand. I know. <coughs> there's a lot I don't understand. But there's a little bit that you do, so read it. And jot that down if that helps you. Have an expectation of success. Psalms 119, 97 through 99, oh, how I love your law. <clears throat> it is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. For they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Now, David's not trying to say it's a competition to see who can get the smartest. That's not the point. The point is he's teaching success. He's teaching, here's the reason that I have excelled. It's because your testimonies are constantly my meditation. I'm meditating on it all day. Years ago when I lived in Arkansas, I was good friends with a guy who had a dairy and had chicken houses up in Madison County. And in time of visiting with this brother and studying with this brother, one thing that really bore down on me was he got the most out of his reading when he was milking his cows and checking the chickens. 
because he's down there on the stool at the milk barn hooking up the milk machine and thinking about what he read early this morning. And I don't know, there's just something about hooking the milker up to the udders that it just occurred to him, hey, maybe that's what that's about. And next time he had a chance to go back to the house, he went back to the house and opened his Bible to a different passage and looked it up, and sure enough. And he went back to the chicken house to check the chickens. Do all the things that those guys do. It's a tedious job at certain stages of the chicken's life, and so he's busy. But he's doing things that let him meditate, and while he meditated, he learned from what he read this morning. Maybe he was frustrated and puzzled while he read, but while he meditated, have you stopped to think about how many times meditation is mentioned in Scripture? Now I'm going to tell you something. When you think biblical meditation, don't think sitting with your legs folded and you're doing this, going, um, okay, because you read that kind of meditation, that's Eastern mystic. Their goal is to empty the mind. We've got too much of that. Your goal is not to empty your mind. Your goal is to fill it with the will of God. So we're not trying to empty our mind when we meditate. When we meditate, we're dwelling on what we've read in the Word of God and sorting through the things and trying to get, if you're digesting it, you're trying to gather more spiritual nutrient. And the Lord's Word promises if we'll do this, we'll have some success. We'll gain traction. We'll learn more if we meditate in order to be obedient. Joshua 1 and 8 God encouraging Joshua, Israel's new leader, in the wake of Moses' passing. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night. That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So God told Joshua, when you meditate on the word, meditate looking for things to observe. Meditate looking for commands to obey. You're not just pondering its puzzling, you know, intrigues. You're thinking, what does God want me to do? What does he want me to stop doing? What is he asking me to be or to become? So your meditation is with a sense of focus and purpose. And... It's amazing how much more clearly you understand the word when you obey that little bit of nutrients you get from each passage. And the more you obey it, the more the other stuff starts to make sense. James 1 puts it like this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. In your heart, Parallel this passage to Psalms 1. You may go back later in the evening when you have time and reread Psalms 1 and read James 1 side by side with it. They're teaching the same thing. The one that's blessed is the one that reads and meditates to obey. That's the tall tree. That's the guy down there by the river growing and getting strong. Okay? So you'll be blessed. Well, in what way will I be blessed? Well, you'll be more like Christ. You'll understand more. You'll gain more. You'll get better traction. You're driving through the eight-inch mud. You'll pick up momentum, and you'll just get further and further down the road. And there'll always be something you don't understand. Through your dying breath. 
But don't focus on that and let that frustrate you into giving up. You just keep chugging away and take in what you can understand. And meditate on those things and look for things that God is asking you to be and to do. <clears throat> and ask for help. Here's Philip, the evangelist, and his encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. He, he ran to him and he, and he saw the eunuch there in his chariot. He heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and he said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? So he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading what in our Bibles is marked as Isaiah chapter 53, and he was puzzled. But he didn't stop reading. He's up there meditating on him, trying to figure it out. Sometimes you hit a wall. So what did the eunuch do? He asked somebody to help him. It's not a crime to ask for help. You've got to be careful. Because whatever person you're asking is a student just like you. Okay, the teacher's in heaven. I'm a student just like you, okay? We're in this journey together. I've got to ask cautiously because I understand that some will twist what the word says. 2 Peter 3, 16, he's talking about Paul's writings. Peter said, also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of scriptures. Now, before we get too deep in this passage, the apostle Peter took Paul's letters like the Ephesian letter and said, I don't understand all of this. So don't get discouraged when you take Paul's epistles and say, I don't understand all of this. If there's some of it, he said, it's not all of it, but some of it's kind of hard to get. If, if, if the apostle Peter could miss it, don't think that we're going to have success complete and total success all the time. We're going to get puzzled and frustrated too. That's all right. Just keep digging. So he said you got to be careful because people that are untaught and unstable will twist it. So here's what we're looking for. You're going to ask for help, but you're going to go to stable people for help. And you're going to go to people who are well taught to the seasoned students of the word. You're not going to go to the unstable and the uncertain, and you're not going to just lean on the brand new student. You're going to go to, you know, brothers and sisters in the Lord that have experience. And you're going to look for those kind of people. 2 Corinthians 4 and 2 adds to the warning, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He cautioned here against handling God's word deceitfully. If you identify that in some source you're checking, be extra cautious of that source. There are a lot of good books out there that write things about the Bible, and you'll figure out a lot of those books, some of them are really good at twisting what the book says, and when you begin to identify that in a book, set that to the side and turn to a better source. So you double check, and you double check with conviction. Galatians 1, if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if anyone preaches any other gospel than you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So when you recognize those voices that are persistently leading people into error, 
You don't recommend that book. You don't celebrate that book. You don't reread that book. You be careful. Find a more reliable source. Okay? So ask for help. There are good reference Bibles. There's one called the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. If you've got a centerline reference Bible, there's a lot of different ones of those that are made that have references in the column in the middle or to the side. The average one of those has about 50,000 references from the beginning to the end. That's quite a bit. If you run all those cross-references, you'll, you'll look up 50,000 verses. The Treasury of Scripture Knowledge is a book that is nothing but those references. It's like the center line itself has been published and you've got to get a different copy of the Bible to read the Bible text and it'll say such and such chapter, such and such verse, and here's all the references. There's over 500,000 cross-references. So without seeking anybody else's opinion, you can just take a passage and in that treasury of scriptural knowledge, you can look that up and it'll give you other verses to look up that maybe it'll help you. That thing's available online free of charge. In free Bible software, for example, eSword is one on the Windows platform. It's free of charge, and it has that available free of charge. Thompson's Chain Reference is another study Bible. It's a reference Bible that's topically based, and I won't try to explain the details of how it works, but I've used mine a lot through the years. But it changed those references together based on topics, so it helps you identify topics in a passage and study other passages about those topics. They're not infallible sources. They're just study helps. Bible Dictionary, Smith, Easton, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Every source I've named so far is available free online. Back when I first went into full-time preaching, these all cost a lot of money, but they're available free now. Commentaries, Barnes Notes, Cambridge Book for uh, Schools and Colleges, Clark's uh, Commentary, Henry, Matthew Henry's Commentary, the Pulpit Commentary, all of them available free online. None of them are perfect. But you get a variety of different opinions. You can consult those. And that's okay. But here's your best source. Go to mature Christians. Not to the unstable and unlearned, but go to the learned ones. Go to the ones that show the fruits of stability in their lives and the choices they make and the way they live. And talk to them. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, In the multitude of counselors there's safety. So I might go check Barnes Notes, but I am aware of his theological background, and that colors what he has written. He's long since died. I'm aware of Adam Clark and some of his peculiar beliefs that are different than what you might believe. So I might use those, you know, Smith's or Easton's International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. I might use those with caution, but at the end of the day, I'm going to talk to a mature brother or sister in the Lord. And I'm going to see what they have to say and get that multitude of voices. So that's how I can take what the eunuch did and say, how can I accept some man should guide me and get a little more traction? It's kind of like getting a shovel out of your car and kind of digging your way down that muddy hole through the muddy road and that eight-inch mud. It's getting a little bit of help. It takes a growth process of milk first. 1 Peter 2 and 2 says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He uses the illustration of babies taking in milk and graduating towards solid food and uses that for a reason. I put a chart up there that's a general representation of when they say to introduce different foods to the little ones at so many weeks or so many months. And I know mamas 
These are matters that are hotly debated, and some think that bananas at that age is anathema, and you can't do that. And I, I'm just going to tell you the truth about all this. I'm going to settle all the disputes. Leave them with granddad. He'll have them eaten off the, the plate table food in no time. <laughs> like sooner than you realize. Oh, this baby needs some mashed taters. You know how the granddads are. Well, you give a lot of thought to that. You read a lot of books. You talk to a lot of doctors to figure out, when can I introduce my baby to this? And it's a tedious, careful process. Okay, next we're going to try this. And some mamas keep that baby book. This is baby's first meat, you know, some date on the calendar. Doesn't look like any meat that I eat, but that's what they labeled it. So, And then at the end of a year or two, Baby's sitting in granddad's lap. Mama's not yelling at granddad anymore because the kid can have whatever they want. It's a slow, patient, deliberate, carefully planned out process. And so what did Peter tell us to do? He said, you crave the word like a baby craves milk. I really enjoyed irritating my wife. In fact, I still enjoy annoying her, if the truth be known. But when our first child was little, there were different reasons that we had to resort to bottle feeding and a lot of complicated things that I mostly forgot, but had to do with things the doctor said. So sometimes I would take turns, and it was the coolest thing. Once she learned to crawl, I could wait till the path was clear and put that bottle out there, and she'd crawl to it, and I'd just do this number, and she's, <laughs> you know, crawling across the floor. And it's awesome when you get caught doing that because <laughs> then you get the reaction that you're looking for. The baby craved it. I eventually fed her, okay? The baby craved that. They wake up in the middle of the night screaming for it. That's how much they crave it. Peter says, that's your benchmark. That's how much you need to be interested in and want to study the Word. I'm going to tell you, when we crave the Word like that, we'll quit losing. We'll get off that dry hilltop and we'll get down there in that creek bottom where we belong. Taking in that deep nourishment, 50 gallons of water a day. When we want it that bad. And until we want it that bad, you're going to have a hard time succeeding. There are no shortcuts, like I've already said. Dedicated hard work. So you've got to accept, I'm going to take the milk first. Well, yeah, but there's this thing in this passage that I don't get. I know, that's called meat. So take in the milk and digest it, and the next time you'll get a little more, and the next time you'll get a little more, till eventually you get to the meat. And that takes time. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, <clears throat> you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It takes time. Full age. By reason of use. They didn't just get old. They studied all the while. You see? And so what's he telling them? You should have got to the point that you weren't the untaught and the unstable. That you were capable of helping others. You ought to have got, be at the point where you could teach others. 
But others can't lean on you to help them understand. They can't afford to do that. You're not capable. So here's how you get capable, the Hebrew writer tells his audience. You start with the milk and you patiently work your way towards solid food. And it takes time. Be patient with yourself. Don't expect to hit a home run the first time you're at the plate. Okay? And over time and persistent use, you'll get there. There's more. And Lord willing, we'll study together this afternoon. But, but you've been very patient this morning, and I appreciate that very much. As we conclude the study, I hope it's occurred to you that the Word of God is spiritual food to feed your soul. And the first thing that God's Word does for your soul in terms of your timeline of being more Christ-like is teach you how to become a child of God. And then the second thing is to teach you how to live as a child of God. So I'm going to ask you this morning, have you become a child of God? Because if you haven't, you need to by obeying the gospel. Christ will save you if you'll come to him obediently. Have you come to Christ, but you're not living as a child of God? Be honest. Because on judgment day, God will be honest with you. Look at yourself. Look in that mirror of God's work. What do you see? More Christ-like? Think carefully. Think carefully. Because judgment day is coming. And Jesus knows. So I want to be honest with yourself and know. And if you're faltering in that area, ask the church for help. We'd be glad to pray for you. Or if you want to become a Christian, we'd be glad to help you with that. If we can help you in either way, please come while we stand and while we sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.